What did you do over the weekend? I did a lot of stuff over the weekend. I went to Clock and Flap, Hong Kong's biggest music festival, and I also did the Spartan Race. Which doesn't involve you being half naked. Well, I mean, being half naked is optional. Was I- anyone in the, in the gear, in the get up? No one was dressed up as an actual Spartan. Nobody shouted, this is Sparta, and kicked someone into a pit. But there were many people wandering around shirtless and just showing off all their muscles. Just like way more than, well, I was going to say way more than you'd expect, you know, in a normal situation. But in a normal situation, you'd expect zero. So (laughs) the fact there were any. Yeah, loads of people just wandering around shirtless, showing off six packs and wearing medals that said, you know, Spartan Super, Spartan Sprint, whatever. How did you do? How was it? I finished the race successfully. I did fine. Did you expect to finish the race successfully? Well, yeah. Good. I mean, I only did the sprint distance, which is, you know, the easy one, in inverted commas. But it was still 90 minutes of physical exertion. I think I came 220th overall out of around about 2,000-ish people. So I did okay. What have you learned about yourself? What have I learned? <laughs> I've learned the value of teamwork. <laughs> it's so funny. We did this for like a work team building event. So there were literally 30 of us all wearing the same t-shirts and running together. Well, we didn't all run as a pack of 30, but we kind of like split up into dribs and drabs. And there were definitely some events that I struggled with. One in particular called the Atlas Stone, where you have to pick up this boulder, basically, like this sphere of rock. (laughs) And it literally weighed as much as I do. So you're meant to pick up this sphere, walk like 10 metres, put it down, do five burpees, pick it up again and deposit it back in its original location. And I just couldn't lift this thing. I was like trying all these weird things to pick it up and like rolling onto my knees and trying to like, you know, I just couldn't do it. It was just so heavy. So is it on a platform already? No, it's on the ground. It's on the ground in like a divot because people have been like picking it up and dropping it and it's like works itself into a little crater because it was like 50, 60 kilograms. It was a lot. And, you know, I only weigh 60 kilograms. I don't weigh very much. So it was basically my entire body weight. So someone from my team saw me struggling and actually helped me pick up the stone. And then I was able to carry it the 10 meters and put it down. And then I tried to pick it up again at the other end and I just couldn't do it. And again, someone came over and helped me pick it up. And I was, I was literally thinking, wow, this is the value of teamwork. This is what it feels like to not be able to do something. This is such a novel experience. What are the other contestants doing? The contestants. Were the other runners doing the same thing? Yeah, there were plenty of other people helping other people out. I saw other teams, you know, doing similar things. Like there was a later obstacle where you had to, you know, swing across on these rings, you know, like monkey bar type things. And (laughs) there was another team where a guy literally put this woman up on his shoulders and just like walked across and she just sort of like put her hands on the rings like in a symbolic gesture because if you fail the obstacle you're meant to do 30 burpees 30 burpees is a lot of burpees so yeah you really don't want to fail an obstacle it was tough what are you really good at 
what am I really good at? I'm good at all the agility things. So the obstacles ran the whole gamut of abilities. So there were ones that focused on kind of just general agility and balance, like climbing over walls, ducking under walls, walking along a horizontal wall with handholds. And all of those were no problem at all. I just did them like there were, you know, no issue. And I think, you know, again, it depends on your build and just how you are. Like there are people who found the Atlas Stone trivial because they're just like really strong, but really struggled with things like the inclined wall. And, you know, I just ran up to this wall and just like threw myself over it. I think I actually genuinely surprised a lot of people from the office because I just didn't expect me to be this like, you know, ninja. (laughs) You just described yourself as a ninja. Yeah. Yeah. It's not racist if an Asian person does it. Although I'm Chinese, not Japanese. So is it still cultural appropriation? I don't know. (laughs) What about throwing stuff? Yeah. The other one that a lot of people had difficulty with was the javelin. Like they say, it's this wild card because how do you train for throwing a javelin? Like it's not the sort of thing you do every day. But I very fortunately just nailed the javelin throw. Just like picked up the javelin, hoofed it at the target and like, bam, it stuck. I just looked at, you know, the attendant in surprise and he just like looked at me and just gave me a thumbs up. I was like, oh, it's good. And I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> and just ran off. Yeah, I think a lot of people had to do burpees at the javelin. It did get absolutely covered in mud. It was filthy. But then basically the last set of obstacles are muddy lakes you know they're like brown murky water but it's it's water so you end up having to completely submerge yourself to go under this wall and as a result that actually washes most of the mud off but you know this is the last obstacle so this is why most people at the end are just going around shirtless because they've just taken off their wet t-shirt is that what you did no i didn't want to expose my six pack to the world (laughs) yeah my six pack there's a six pack underneath all this lard (laughs) So same again next year? Same again next year. Yeah. Or maybe I'll do the uh, super. No, I don't know. (laughs) I did feel good about it afterwards. I actually did feel, you know, I think when you've done a lot of physical activity and you think like, yeah, I'm going to do it again. I felt so good. Let's, Let's go again. So yeah, I did kind of feel like that. I felt really, really sore the next couple of days though. While you were out. Partying. Enjoying the weather. The music. At Clock and Flap. Tell me about Clock and Flap. It's just a Hong Kong music festival. It has lots of Western bands. The lineup actually wasn't that good this year, if I'm perfectly honest, but still went. Stories? Highlights? Mmm. Embarrassing moments? In what must be this not very secret secret that everyone other than me apparently knew, there's this drug you can take that just stops you having the asian red face drinking problem so if you're not a chinese or asian person maybe you just don't know about this full stop but for a lot of asian people when you drink alcohol your face goes really red and then you feel really really unwell very very quickly like pounding headache and want to vomit And it doesn't take very much alcohol to cause this. So as a result, I rarely drink and don't drink very much. But you go out enough still. 
literally, that's not sarcastic. You, you seem to go out a lot still. Yeah, but I often just won't actually drink any alcohol. In the olden days, maybe I would have been the designated driver. Now I'm just the guy who just doesn't drink alcohol, but still goes out. But it turns out certain kinds of like heartburn medication have the unintended side effect of just stopping this red face effect. So one of the guys I play PUBG with just mentioned this offhand the other day. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, oh, don't you know about this? And I was like, no. So he said, just go to the pharmacy and ask for famotidine. So I went to a pharmacy and just asked for it. And, you know, the pharmacist just handed me this box and was like, is this what you want? And I was like, I don't know, actually. I'm just going to say yes. It's very responsible. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, it must have been an import because it was all in Spanish. So I tried to read the instructions, but I had no idea what it was saying. And I just took one anyway. I was thinking, wow, I hope this isn't like birth control medication or something. Anyway, long story short. Check with Kevin. (laughs) I should have checked. Well, I didn't. Whatever. No, you can still check with Kevin. Go on. You took the drug. Took the drug. Experimentally just drank a pint (laughs) at the festival and was like totally fine. Like, usually after half a pint, I would be quite red. But I just downed this pint and I was like, this is very strange. I feel completely fine. And then proceeded to carry on drinking. What time was this? Because you could have written off your evening. This was like at 8pm. You had a free ticket, it's fine, nobody cares. Yeah, oh shh, it was a free tish. No, I, I, won, I won a free ticket in a competition. That's the reason I went, despite the lineup not being great. It was okay. It was okay. And? And yeah, it was just, it was just strange. I could drink like a normal person. Having said that, the next morning... I was totally, like, wrecked. I just had, like, no energy in my limbs. Like, it was just so strange. I'm not sure it was the drinking. I think it might have been the Spartan race and the fact that I then carried on partying into the night. So you swear by this thing? I don't know. It's it's like magic. I'm going to try it again next time, yeah. I, I did hear that, actually, it might just be really dangerous because it's just suppressing, you know, the red face thing is because you're body can't break down all these like toxic byproducts of alcohol and so you're going red because your body's like stop drinking you're gonna die so the fact that <laughs> this thing just suppresses that is like you're still gonna die <laughs> you just feel fine it's like this is amazing i can just like drink petrol and set my arm on fire and not feel anything it's like yeah but your arm's still on fire so you know drink in moderation maybe we should try it for the Christmas episode, for the end of year wrap up. We can, let's get some four loco and some formosity. You, you're already like, no, I've got to be responsible. If you can't tell, it's fine. <laughs> Come on, if no one can tell, it's fine. No one can tell. Mm, you, you, I think I'm going to try and persuade you to drink, and you're going to be like, no, you can, you can drink. It's just going to be the the episode where I just descend into this until uh, I pass out. You can stop the recording and tidy up afterwards. <laughs> We're recording in my flat, so it's fine, you know. You don't have to get me home, because I'm already home. You can just walk out. Yeah, but if I get a call from the police... <laughs> call like, it's like, like you were the, the last person seen <laughs> before he died from alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I can't manage that. Okay, so we'll, we'll arrange an alibi for you. <laughs> Welcome to Lost Levels Club. 
Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. We're a book club for games. But not today. Today, we're going to catch up on what we've been playing. Talk about video game movies. Well, actually, mostly talk about Detective Pikachu. <laughs> and we'll talk at length about Deltarune and Moon Crash, maybe. Let's see how the timing works out. Yeah. So, a few episodes ago, I talked to you about Xbox Game Pass. And then I also talked to you at length about getting a 1060. Did you actually get one? No, I didn't get one. <laughs> it's just, we don't have Amazon here. We just don't have Amazon here. Just go and buy one from the computer centre or something. I should just go at lunch. Yeah, just pop out and buy one. It's Hong Kong. It's like 10 minutes away. Everything's so close here. I'm so worried about getting ripped off and getting like an X mining card. But I can speak the language, so actually I shouldn't get ripped off. Yeah, I'm the one who should be more worried about being ripped off when I walk in with my plummy English accent and my inability to speak Cantonese. And your unlimited budget. <laughs> my unlimited budget. <laughs> Hello, good sir. Give me your most expensive thing. <laughs> What's that? It's this paperclip. How much? A million dollars? Well, if it's your most expensive thing, I suppose I can... <laughs> And they'll try and talk you down, but you'll say no. <laughs> it does, I desire the most expensive thing. I can't believe you're buying a 1060. Why would you buy a 1060? You should buy a 1070. I can't be asked to upgrade the, the power supply. Yeah, I know. It's fair enough. It's fair enough, really. A 1060 is actually fine. Anyway, so all this happened because I played Forza Horizon 4. What do you have at the moment? You have, like... A 270? Yeah. An AMD 270X? No, no it's X. not even an X. Oof. That's how well optimised this game is. Well, plenty of things will run. Does it run well? Does it look good? Yeah, it looks terrible. Oh, disappointing. Yeah, so if you go to the Forza subreddit, everyone's taking beautiful screen caps. Seriously, why bother? If you Instead of buying a 1060, why don't you just buy an Xbox One X? It's probably the same price. Oh. And then it'll look beautiful. It'll probably look better than it would on a 1060. And then you don't have to worry about upgrading your power supply or whatever. If all you want to do is play Forza and have it look good. Two things I've discovered. I really miss driving in the UK. So the whole point of Forza 4 is it's reproduced the UK. So it's got the Cotswolds, it's got Edinburgh, it's got some of Wales. I don't know which parts of Wales. And they've just condensed into one map. Oh, really? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's very strange. I'm trying to think what the UK would look like if you put Scotland and Wales together. It's just highlights, and then they've condensed into one place. Like The Crew, you know, they have... Their, oh, another game I never played. Well, you know, but they, they've tried to recreate all of the US in one map. But obviously, what I saw in videos on, on the web looked far prettier than what I was playing with. I'm really curious what it looks like now. Like you should screen cap it or just take a screenshot and send it. And what else? Oh man, games these days. I think this thing has like a few hundred cars. I ain't got time to unlock a hundred odd cars. Is this where you tell me you spent real money to unlock cars? No, this is the point where I didn't. I just, I, I quit. I gave up after like 10, 15 hours. It's crazy. You unlock perks 
for each car that you drive. Come on, that's not necessary. I'm sorry, but this just sounds like the Call of Duty of driving games. It is. There's so much progression, but it's unnecessary. I can't. I can't be dealing with it. So I, I bounced off it. That is the problem. That is the problem because this is the sort of thing where when we had unlimited time to play games, it would be like this is amazing. It's so deep. I can do this thing and this thing I really like. I can keep unlocking stuff. Whereas now it's just like, oh, please spare me. Just take me to the good stuff. All right, I'm done. But the good stuff is so far away from you. Anyway, we don't need to talk about that anymore. No? No. Why? Because we need to move on. We need to move on. So. Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Interestingly, we've both got the game. I I actually had genuinely forgotten that you had the game because we don't play this game together. Right, we 100% don't play this game together and never talk about this game with each other. Until you mentioned it today, I had completely forgotten that you had this game. We're really good friends in real life. I don't know, man. Define really good friends. <laughs> <laughs> you have it on PS4. Yes. I have it on PC. Yes. So that's the other reason we have just like absolutely no knowledge of the other one playing it. We play this game very differently as well. Okay, so how are you playing it? My focus is on the vanilla multiplayer and a little bit of zombies. Are you playing it on your own? Are you playing it with like Kez or... Kevin and John. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But I also play on my own as well for the vanilla multiplayer. Because I love the progression. I love it so much. I'm like a child. I'm a little child. I love unlocking stuff every 10 minutes. I'm just shaking my head. I don't know why my brain really likes it. I was playing another 10 minutes just to unlock something else. I am mostly playing Blackout, as you might imagine, because of the Battle Royale mode. I mean, I have played a bit of the regular multiplayer. I have played a bit of Zombies. I'm playing with the same people that I played PUBG with, but we've now all transitioned to Black Ops 4 because, well, those guys just really want to play Black Ops 4. I mean, I'd probably rather play PUBG, to be honest, but, you know, sadly, friendship is a democracy and we have to play Black Ops 4, whereas I would actually rather be Eternal Leader Mike and then we just play PUBG. <laughs> but, but no, sadly, uh, it's not a dictatorship. I, for some reason, right? When you start a game of Blackout, it just says, like, Blackout. But I was... Do you remember Dragon Age? And there's the guy who has, like, his slightly slow son, who's really good at enchantment. And he's going, enchantment! He's always just saying that. And I just imagine, like, starting a game of Blackout. And I'm like, Blackout! Yay, Blackout! And we all jump out of the helicopter. I don't know why. It's just always what goes through my head. I'm not good at Blackout, though. We've won precisely one game of Blackout. Was it thanks to you? (laughs) No. (laughs) It was thanks to the enemy team. Like, we've come second a whole bunch of times. But the only time we've won, it was the power plant. The enemies were inside this building, and we were all outside. And we knew where each other were. Because earlier on, We'd opened a door and there's just like, you know, fusillade of grenades, like bang, 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 all these explosions going off happened as soon as we opened the door. So they were watching this door 
and they knew we were going to come through this door and we knew they were looking at this door. Fine. The last circle happens. It's about to collapse to nothing. We've got to go in the door. We have no choice. So we fling open the door again. We all rush through and we're all like, you know, ready for a fight. And then instead it just goes, victory. <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> like, to this day, still don't know. I think either they must have just like fallen off a walkway and taken full damage or like been cooking grenades to throw at us when we opened the door and just cooked them too long and blew themselves up. But whatever. But the only time we won, the enemy just killed themselves and we all just walked into this room slightly puzzled and just victory music played. Are you unlocking the specialists? No, because I'm not good. I mean, the thing I like about Battle Royale games at the moment is that they don't have this endless unlock treadmill. Because the problem is about the regular multiplayer is I feel completely like hamstrung. Like I'm there with my base you know, SMG or assault rifle with iron sights. And then some guy comes around with like akimbo guns with like two hollows and like extended mags and like fast reload and all these other perks. And I'm just like, well, this isn't fair. Whereas in the battle rail games, you know, you jump out the plane in your underpants, kill or be killed, but it's a level playing field. It's not like, oh, I've been playing this 500 hours, so I'm going to jump out in a ghillie suit with a sniper rifle. Like, no, I jump out the plane in my underpants like everybody else. I think that's how we differ. I hate starting from zero. I feel like, oh, I've unlocked these things. Let me just keep unlocking things. Even if I play really badly, I'm still unlocking things. Yeah, but I just can't be bothered to have to go through this treadmill of dozens of hours of sucking before, you know, I can become competitive. It is quite frustrating, though, because we always have really bad ping, or at least one of us will always have really bad ping. Like The people I play with now are just spread all over the globe. So there's a guy in the US, there's like a guy in New Zealand, there's me in Hong Kong. So like one of us will always have terrible ping. The problem is worse because Blackout is more twitchy compared to PUBG. I think so. It definitely feels very different. Definitely feels very different. We did try and go back to playing PUBG for a little bit. And I had completely lost my ability to shoot in PUBG. Because compared to PUBG, every gun in Blackout is a laser beam. The recoil is practically non-existent. Since you've mentioned that to me, I really noticed it. You really don't need to let go of the trigger. You don't need to burst anything. You just hold it down. Yeah, because in the one game of PUBG we played while we were waiting for the rest of the Blackout crew to arrive, I tried to spray an AK at mid-range and I, I just literally like fired it straight up into the air and I was like, oh yeah, whoops, and then I just died. Not to mention, you do get literal laser beams in Blackout. Have you picked up a ray gun yet? No. Have you killed... Oh, you actually haven't played Blackout really, have you? No, I've not. Okay. Yeah, you can kill zombies in Blackout and then open up a mystery box or the zombies themselves drop weapons. So sometimes you'll get a ray gun and it's a one-shot kill, but you can't get more ammo for it and it doesn't have a sight. So you're just hip-firing this thing. It is quite funny, though, with all the power-ups. Gadgets. And gadgets, yeah. And you, you do get quite cool stuff. Like, I saw... 
a video where they fired a sensor dart into the little RC car and then drove the RC car around and used it like as a mobile radar. That was really clever. Or another time where they threw a trophy system onto a helicopter. The trophy system intercepts enemy munitions. So if someone throws a grenade at you, the trophy system will intercept it and blow it up. And normally the helicopter is kind of like a high risk, high reward thing because you can move very quickly and you have amazing overwatch because you're just so high up. So, you know, you can put your squad in the back of the helicopter and they can just like rain down bullets on people. But if anyone's got a missile launcher, they will just lock onto your helicopter and shoot you down. But if you happen to just stick a trophy system onto the helicopter, it will actually just intercept all the missiles. So it's pretty clever. I don't know. It's quite fun. We'll see if it's got the staying power that PUBG had. I do feel like I was socially engineered into buying it, actually. It was quite bad. Socially engineered. Well, there's a lot of, are you going to buy Black Ops 4? Or are you just going to play PUBG? And I was like, I don't think I'm going to buy it. But then one guy bought it and said, I've bought it, but I was always going to buy it. I can just play on my own. But then another guy said, oh, I've bought it too. And so it was like, well, if two of you have bought it, I guess I'll buy it as well. So then I bought it. But it turned out the guy who said he bought it hadn't actually bought it. And then he was like, wait, you bought it already? I was just saying that. I was like, what? And then he, and then he said, oh, well, if you've bought it now, I guess I'll buy it too. And then because three of us had then bought it, so did the fourth guy and the fifth guy. And then we all had Black Ops 4. And as a result, now we're playing Blackout. But it's fun, like you said. I guess. I guess. Well, it's good for PUBG to have some competition anyway, I suppose. Keep them on their toes. Oh, man, they They really need to be up on their toes. They need to be doing, like, the ballet dancer pirouette thing now, right? Then again, Black Ops 4 just introduced ridiculous microtransactions. Did you see this? Black market. There's just some stupid endless unlock wheel. It probably is the black market, but then... The boosters you can buy for it, I don't know. Yeah, it's a crazy grind. It just sounded like the most insane grind that you can only speed up by spending crazy amounts of money. In fact, the game costs literally 100 USD if you buy the deluxe edition with the season pass. and That's a lot. And then they have the audacity to put these microtransactions in too. Shocking. Try not to pay attention to all that. Whatever. Moving on. RDR2. We've both got this. Yes. Why did I buy this again? It's just like the peer pressure. It was just like... What peer pressure? Don't don't put it on us. The, the societal peer pressure. It got 97 on Metacritic. Yeah, it did. That's a lot. It is a lot. And I just felt... Wow, if it's really that good. I mean, I did enjoy the first one because, you know, we played it for the book club. And I remember saying at the end, you know, of that book club, I would play a sequel. I would like to find out more about these characters. You know, I would like to know more about this world. And so I bought it. And it is fun to see John Marsden and Abigail and Jack Marsden as a little kid. Dutch when he's the leader of the gang, yada, yada, yada. What's your take on it? 
we had a conversation about this and you asked me, what do I need in the sequel? And I needed more. I need more, not just more narrative, but more game. And they've really delivered on that. Please elaborate. You know, previously I said, oh, you're just collecting flowers, hunting stuff for the sake of hunting stuff. But now there's rewards for it. It's amazing. There's a camp you can upgrade. You really do like the endless treadmill, don't you? So long as I don't so have to pay for it. So there's more game to it this time round. Is there more game? I mean, there is more game, but they've also kind of tried to make it less gamey, if that makes sense. No, we're really abusing the word game here. Yeah, I mean, I obviously mean, you know, game as in animals you can hunt. No, I mean game as in the mechanical aspects of of the experience. I don't know, I was going to say the word game again then, and I realised, welcome to Tautology Club. <laughs> the first rule of Tautology Club is the first rule of Tautology Club. No, for example, you can't just carry an arsenal of weapons on your back. Well, your horse can basically just carry an arsenal of weapons, but you have to choose to, which ones to take with you. It's kind of like Halo now, right? Or PUBG. You have like your two primary weapons and a sidearm. And you, you, on your horse, you can carry one item or one thing. So I've heard stories where people have had to drop something off deliver something to the camp then they've returned back to pick something up but then it's disappeared but that's real life oh it's like fallout 4 and how i shouldn't have increased oh my... you're carrying capacity yes i broke the game like that i broke my my experience you dirty cheater something to bring up is how the game is deliberately slow have you found this yes so if you want to loot a place, you literally have to open all the drawers and then rifle through the drawers and then pick up the individual things and put them in your knapsack. Yes. Well, now you put it like that, it doesn't sound so great. Oh, it's immersive. So immersive, man. I don't mind taking my time over things, but there is one thing that annoys me. Arthur is quite hard to control in a confined space. <laughs> I think I've experienced this too where, you know... You're trying to turn around and it's just like he's, you know, like Octodad or something. He's just like, when he turns around, he like flails around, his like arm spins out and it feels like he's going to just like knock stuff over. And yeah, and some, some combination of the camera kind of rotating and him rotating and he somehow just like uncoordinatedly is flailing his limbs about is how it feels. So overall, I mentioned that I like the pacing because I, in real life, I'm trying to be more mindful about the things I do and more deliberate. Meanwhile, I'm like, get on with it, game. I need to finish this experience so I can get on to all the other games in my backlog. I feel Kevin will have something to say about that. Yeah, well, it's okay. I just won't play it at all. No, I'm kidding. I don't know when I'm going to actually really have time to play it. Like When I have actually sat down and played it, I have enjoyed it. But... I just often don't feel like starting it because it is quite a slow and methodical game. And, you know, we're very different in this regard. I don't want to play like 20 minutes or something like this. If I start playing it, I'll only start playing it because I've got two to three hours I can put into it in one go. Whereas I think you're quite fine with like playing 20 minutes or something. Yeah, I am. That's how I play games. It's funny because... You definitely can do what you're doing these days. Like, 
in the olden days, by which I mean 16-bit consoles or before, you know, like, I definitely had this problem when I was younger of, like, playing some tortuous JRPG and then being like, Mike, dinner time's like, no, I've got to save the game, mum. You know, and they're like, but it's dinner. It's like, you've been up there another half hour. I don't know when the next save point is. Did you just not leave it running? Well, I, I, yeah, maybe I could have done that, but I didn't want to, man. I wanted to get to the next save point. You know, you want, you want to advance the story. You want to keep going. Whereas like now you can just put the console to sleep and just literally pick up where you left off. I mean, I guess the old school equivalent would literally have been just pause the game and just leave it turned on, but paused for eight hours. Yes. That's what people did. Like they'd leave the, their snares on all weekend and they'd be getting worried by Sunday night thinking, do you think whether they, it can hold out for the rest of the weekend without being powered off? But although you could do that, and although you can put games to sleep now, I just still don't like doing that. I like to play for a concerted block and then get to a natural kind of break point and then stop. No, you're right, because your brain doesn't work like that. Although the console works like that, no human brain works like that. You can't just snap yourself back into the game. Yeah, so you see, you're trying to be more mindful. I'm more mindful all the time. I'm just always thinking about this. Just trying to be absorbed in the game and and really, you know, get the true experience. Or at least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's fine, you design your life that way. I think that's a smarter thing to do. Design your life that way. It's a charitable way of saying you're stuck in the past. you have quite a few now this is just all the other stuff i have been playing since when is this list how did you compile this list of games in the show notes i looked at when we last did this section which was july and then i looked at your your gamer card well i'd actually forgotten i played a whole bunch of these games that's why i'm here i'm just going to run through them very quickly you should run through them very quickly because we have, you know, we can talk at length of better things. So, Stars and Shadow, it's basically a modern take on Master of Orion 2. It's okay. It's funny, because I'm just saying it's okay, but it wasn't great. But I, I did actually decide just to try it out, because, well, I'd been aware of it for a while. I had seen it when it was, like, pre-release, and they just had some screenshots. And it was very obviously an homage to Master of Orion 2. So it was 50% off on Steam one day, so I picked it up, and then I thought I'll just try it out for half an hour. But then 4am, because i just become quite absorbed in it, and it was always just like one more turn, one more turn, one more turn. So I played one game of it. It was alright. It was like, it was alright. I mean, it was up to 4am, but it was kind of mediocre. At least now you're in a good place to judge. Yeah, it was reasonably well executed. It had some good ideas, but it didn't have somehow that hook that would make me want to play it again and again and again. 
but I enjoyed the game of it that I played. Some cool ideas could be built on. Maybe it will be. Next game, Exapunks. The latest programming puzzle game from Zachtronics Industries, who have made Opus Magnum, Infinifactory, Shenzhen IO, well, and ultimately Space Chem, which was the first of these programming puzzle games I actually played, and the one that I still think is the best, by a significant margin. So Exapunks. Again, it's alright. I I think I've got to the same point in it that I get to with most of these Zachtronics games, where I feel like I could totally do this puzzle, but I can't be bothered. Like, it stops being fun and it becomes work. Because when the game starts out, the puzzles are easy. And I'm like, you call this a puzzle? This is trivial. (laughs) And then it gets to this kind of sweet spot where it's kind of fun to solve the puzzle. It's like, oh, it's not immediately obvious how to solve this puzzle. Let's break it down and figure out how to solve this puzzle. And it's like, oh, that's a, that was a neat solution. And then it gets to the point where it becomes tedious. So I can immediately see how I can solve this puzzle, but it will be such a ball ache to actually solve this puzzle. Like, it's immediately obvious what the high-level solution is but the actual details of the solution are going to be really fiddly and a massive pain to work out. So let's just not. And then I kind of just bounce off it. I understand why you have the job you have. (laughs) What's that supposed to mean? It's, you know, from a high level, you see how it works exactly. (laughs) It's it's trivial. It's true. This is how you you end up in management. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So I'm about a dozen hours in and it's got to the point where I can see how to do this, but it would be a pain. Space Chem somehow never quite got to that point. It never became obvious immediately how the puzzle should be solved, but it was just a pain to execute it. It was always, wow, this is really challenging and interesting and every puzzle i'm learning something new i'm having to actually develop some new technique to solve this anyway seven billion humans another programming puzzle game this one i did actually complete because this one never quite got to the it's tedious phase it is the sequel to another programming puzzle game called Human Resource Machine. So, in Human Resource Machine, you are an office worker, or you are the manager in an office or something. I can't remember exactly how it's presented to you, but basically, there is a little person in the office, and you are writing instructions for them to follow, like, walk up to this filing cabinet, take a file out, add one to the number on the file. So basically, it's a programming language. It's it's kind of like a very simple programming language, like assembler, really. And you solve puzzles like that. So 7 billion humans is pretty much multi-threaded human resource machine. 
instead of there just being one little person you're giving instructions to, you write a program and there will be a whole load of people in the office all following the same program. So sometimes that's really great and you can just divide and conquer the task. Other times it's really not great and you're thinking, wow, I wish I could give one program to these people and one program to those people. But you have to instead figure out a way to write a program such that all the people with just one program do the right thing. It was quite fun. I finished it. So I have to do the same task. Fine. Okay. Like, you know, sorting a list, for example, like to go all programmer for a moment in human resource machine. I think one of the puzzles is to sort a list and you effectively have to write bubble sort. So your little dude is walking up and down this list of numbers and it's like, is the number bigger than the next one? Okay. So pick it up and swap it with the one I'm holding. Whereas in 7 billion humans, you have the same problem, but instead of just there being one person, you have as many people as there are numbers and you just tell the people, look at the person to my left. If the number I'm holding is bigger, swap it with them or something like that. And then, so they all just do it at the same time and it shows, oh, wow, this list got sorted really fast. This is the power of teamwork. And, you know, that's a really early level. Later on, gets more complicated. Oh, this one I have no idea about. Fidel Dungeon Rescue. It's a small one-screen puzzle game. You control a little dog. What does he or she do? The plot kind of doesn't really matter, but it's something really weird like your owner is this old lady and she accidentally falls into a dungeon and you have to go and rescue her. And what does this boil down to? It's kind of like the witness, strangely. When you move your little dog around, its leash trails behind it and you can't cross over the leash. So in that way, it's kind of like the witness where you're drawing the line out and the line can't intersect itself. It's not like the witness in that you have to just get to the end of the maze kind of thing, though, and follow some rules. Instead, in the dungeon are various different monsters and traps and items, and they behave in a certain way. But if you want to just walk into this trap because it's a shorter path, you can do it. It will just cost you some health, for example. So it's not like the witness where there are things you just can't do. The only thing you can't do in Fidel is cross over your leash, but everything else is fair game. I mean, it might cause you to die, but you know, you can do it. So it's a kind of one screen dungeon puzzler. It's quite fun. Again, I finished it. How did you hear about this? It was on Ars Technica. You know what's really weird? I actually have no recollection of even buying Fidel. <laughs> so which means that Either it was in a bundle or it was like 80% off and thus the price of a cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, I remember that game. I'll just give it a go. Now that it costs like $1. It was fun, actually. It was pretty good. I would say it was probably worth at least $10, to be honest. But Hong Kong dollars? US, US dollars. Onto the big hitters. So the two big ones... Mooncrash and Deltarune. I think let's start with Mooncrash and just get it done. Okay. Poor Mooncrash. Well, I mean, there's so much stuff I could say about Mooncrash. In fact, there's so much stuff I could say about Deltarune too. But for both of these, I don't want to give any spoilers. So that's obviously going to severely limit what I can say about both of them. 
I actually really enjoyed Prey after playing it for the book club. Yeah, I really liked it. I was just thinking, wow, why did people not make more of a big deal about this game? And then I saw a lot of reviews of Mooncrash saying that it was like the best DLC of 2018 or it was better than the actual base game. It was also described as having roguelike elements, which I'm also like a massive fan of. And I'd just been on that crazy uh, randomizer kick. So, you know, I was getting randomizer vibes from it too. So I picked it up and I have finished it. It took me about 19 hours. It's funny because it could easily have taken me longer and it could easily have taken me like half the time just because of the way I was playing it. So I originally played it in a way that I think I was artificially handicapping myself. So I mean, the mechanics of the game, you are exploring this moon base and you have certain objectives you have to complete. But before you start off another run of the simulation, you can actually spend what they call simulation points to decide what's in your starting inventory. So if you want to just put like 20 neuromods in your inventory at the start, you can do it. It will just cost you a whole load of simulation points. And I was basically starting every run only spending a handful of simulation points. So I had like a quarter of a million simulation points just like in the bank because I just wasn't really spending any of them. I would just start every run with basically just a pistol okay which was like a massive handicap and after you know maybe 15 16 hours it got to the point where i was thinking i should probably actually just finish this now and then i started spending significantly more simulation points and then the whole thing wrapped up quite quickly on what kind of things so neuromod unlocks are actually permanent so if you unlock an ability from neuromods the next time you play that character, you'll have those abilities unlocked already. So I went and just started the game with a whole bunch of neuromods and made sure to unlock, say, max level repair, max level hacking. And that just made the game significantly easier because I could start out with the character that can repair things and just go all the way around the moon base and repair everything, for example. And then next plays the hacking character and go all around the moon base and hack everything. And then the subsequent characters would not have to worry about any broken equipment or any, you know, terminals they couldn't access because I had previously done a run and hacked and repaired everything. In fact, that's another mechanic of the game because the simulation is persistent between characters. It's only when you actually reset the simulation that everything resets apart from the neuromods. So if you have a door that's locked due to hacking, or a door that's broken and needs to be repaired. Well, if you're playing as a character that can't hack or repair, then too bad. But if you, in an earlier run, repair or hack that door, then it will just be open in a subsequent character's playthrough. And the ultimate goal of the game is to unlock these five characters by completing certain objectives complete the story mission for each of the five characters and then escape with all five characters in a single run of the simulation. And if you do that, then you will get to see the ending. Only one run with each character per simulation? 
Yeah, so once the character has escaped the moon base or died, then you can't use them again until the simulation is reset. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, how does it compare to the base game of Prey? They added a few new abilities, they added a a handful of new weapons, and they tweaked both the existing enemies a bit and added, you know, some new-ish enemies. So the game feels a little bit different. All of the traumas that got added to the base game as an optional thing you could enable are just always enabled in Moon Crash. So you have to worry about, like, breaking your leg or having a burn, you know, getting a concussion. So you can have these permanent debuffs until you find the right item that cures it. The way you have to play the game as well depends a lot on your character. So each of the five characters kind of plays like a particular playstyle in Prey. I mean, the thing is, when I played Prey, I artificially limited myself again because I was doing a human abilities only run. And I think you limited yourself too because you didn't want to be targeted by turrets. So you were very restricted in what Typhon powers you would unlock. Yep. But in this, you know, there's a character who basically has only Typhon powers or he he's significantly better with Typhon powers than he is with conventional weapons. And then there's another character who plays basically like my playthrough of the base game, Prey, where his main ability is combat focus and he doesn't have any other Typhon powers. There's a character that can only repair things, there's a character that can only hack things and so on. So the different archetypes of character are distinct characters in Moon Crash and you have to play with that playstyle, which is quite interesting. Plus, the main thing is you can't save scum. There's no quick save or quick load. If you exit the game, it saves, and then you can reload the game and continue from that point. But you can't save the game, try something and die, and then reload that quick save. If you die, that character is dead until you reset the simulation. So that made the game way more tense. Like, it wasn't like it was in Prey, where I was like, oh, this situation looks a bit sketchy. Let's quick save, see how it pans out. And if it doesn't pan out the way I like, I'm going to quick load. Instead, it was like, this situation looks a bit sketchy. Maybe I should run away. Or this looks bad, but the escape pod is over there and I have to go that way because it's the only escape pod. So I'm just going to have to fight my way or sneak my way through this horrible situation. Really bad stuff did happen as well. Like there was one run where I literally had to fight six nightmares like six nightmares in my entire playthrough of prey i killed six nightmares in one run of moon crash and this isn't across all the characters this is one character so with just one character i actually had to fight six nightmares and i killed five of them and the sixth one killed me because i just literally just ran out of resources at that point i was like wow i have literally nothing left to fight this nightmare with i have no grenades i have no ammo left I've used up all my side points. I'm just going to have to try and wrench this nightmare. They don't despawn. They don't despawn. Because there's a corruption level. And if anything, they respawn. When the corruption level goes up, all the enemies respawn again. So it was really bad. I was trying, <laughs> you know, like I was trying to escape. The escape route was just like just through this room, but the corruption counter was really close to ticking over. So. I managed to, at great personal cost and health and, you know, burning up most of my resources, kill a nightmare. 
And I was like, okay, thank goodness. I just have to get into the next room and I can escape. But then, uh-oh, it ticks over to the next corruption level and then the door opens and out steps another nightmare. And I was like, oh, crap. And then I died. It's fun, though. You should play it. <laughs> it doesn't sound like my idea of fun. I'm kind of surprised that they made it DLC in a way. Like, they literally could have released this as a separate game. I think it's actually literally a distinct EXE from Prey. In Steam, it's one game. In Steam, it's one game. But once you've bought Mooncrash, when you click play on Prey, another box pops up and it says play Prey or play Prey Mooncrash with, like, with a radio button and you have to choose. So it is literally a separate executable. If they wanted to release this as a standalone game, they definitely could have done. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure why they didn't. Because people who really liked Prey and wanted more Prey would probably have paid $30 for a standalone game. And people who didn't have Prey already, but had heard that Mooncrash was really good and they'd missed out by not playing Prey, maybe they'd be interested in buying it? Since, you know, I basically played it for as long as I played Prey. So, anyway, I shouldn't complain for getting more value than I expected for my money. Oh, the only disappointing thing. Alex Yu has a different voice actor. He sounds totally different. Totally different. Do you know why? Because the original voice actor for Alex Yu is Benedict Wong. Who's actually quite famous. Like, he's a Hollywood actor. And I guess they just couldn't get him back for the DLC. So, they've just got some other guy playing Alex. And it just sounds like he's just putting on a Chinese voice. To me, it just sounds kind of wrong. Right? Like, I don't know if they got another Chinese-American person just to do the voice. Or if they just got an American guy and just said, Try and sound Chinese. Like, it, it just, it just really doesn't sound good to me. Like, it sounds, it sounds like an offensive racial stereotype. I don't know. It just sounds somehow not good. And I don't understand why even put Alex Yu in the game. Like, if they couldn't get the same voice actor, they didn't even need to have Alex Yu say anything in this game. They could have just made a different character deliver these plot points. In my opinion, I don't think the plot would have suffered if they'd had a different character deliver some of the information rather than have it be Alex Yu and it just sound bad. So that's the one negative I had about the game. There's much more I could say about it. The roguelike elements, the random elements, the weapon degradation, the things on fire, sometimes the tram is broken, sometimes there's no oxygen, I don't know. But it's not an entire episode about Mooncrash. So, if you're interested, I thought it was really good. Maybe give it a go. Especially if you like Prey. Especially if you like Prey. And then moving on...
Deltarune. Deltarune. This was amazing. This was totally unexpected. And yet, it was planned all along. We're all part of Toby Fox's master plan. It all started with a innocuous tweet. Actually, it wasn't really innocuous. It was very obvious that something was up. The official Undertale Twitter, they changed it so that the profile picture was black and the background was black and the name was just like black squares. And it made a sequence of tweets in all caps about how we were on the verge of making a connection and come back here again in 24 hours. We were made to expect that it was going to be a survey. So the Twitter account literally said, return here in 24 hours. At that time, I will ask you a few questions. Then, using your responses, we will approach its realisation Whatever that means. Thank you very much for your time. I know what that means. There's a poll and we're going to create something off that poll. We'll realise It's going to be a Twitter poll. It's going to be a garbage Twitter poll. Hey, do you like cinnamon or butterscotch? Let's choose what pie to make. People were, were going slightly mad about what it could be. Like, I even saw some speculation that it meant an Undertale character was going to be in Smash. And which one was it going to be? That would have been amazing. It's just come out on Switch. It that would have w- made that, perfect sense. That would have been amazing. Just think. It's like, yeah, Isabel's great, but Asriel, nevertheless, I made extra sure to get home from work and eat dinner and be sat at my computer <laughs> watching and refreshing the Undertale Twitter account. I know this is very sad, but I, re- not, <laughs> I really like Undertale. There's not much else you'd do that for, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very surprising. It's very surprising. So, it hits 1pm GMT and the Twitter account says, thanks for waiting so long. Now reveal yourself, Deltarune. Links to deltarune.com. Go to the website and it says, click here to download the survey program. So I'm like, huh, it's an EXE? I was expecting a Twitter poll. That sounds dodgy as hell. Download the EXE. It's called, in all caps, surveyprogram.exe. Windows Defender goes batshit and says, we highly recommend you don't run this. Well, it's not Windows Defender, it's the other thing, like Smart Screen. Basically, it's some EXE it's never seen before. It's unsigned. It's going to run an installer with admin privileges. So it, it basically says... We've blocked this from running. You can override this with admin rights if you really know what you're doing. And I said, run it. MSI installer runs, completely black. License agreement appears and it says, you accept whatever happens next. And then I click cancel and I was like, I'm going to wait and see what the internet says about this. Because... This is my main PC, and I don't really want it to explode. Came back an hour later, looked at a few Reddit threads. Everyone was going, OMG, but no one was saying what it was. So I figured, okay, 
No one said it deleted my hard drive. Let's go. Install it. It starts up. Actually, should I talk about this? It's spoilers, right? Well, no, I think the cat's out of the bag. I, I can talk about this. Which is say spoilers, I guess, right now. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, no story spoilers, right? I'm not actually going to talk about the story of Deltarune. But spoilers for what the survey program actually is, if you somehow haven't already found out about that after the gaming press went kind of nuts over it. So, the survey program asks you to make a character and name it. And at this point, I was still thinking, oh, this really is just a short survey. It's going to collect some information and then it's going to take this character and it's going to have some game where all the characters we made somehow are part of this game. In the website, on, it, the, on, the, on a page or something. Yeah, so I, I was still thinking, well, this is a twee and funny thing. So I make a character, I name it, then ask me for my name, and I give my name, and I'd actually call my character my name too. So it said, oh, of course, the same name, of course, of course. But it turns out there's loads of Easter eggs depending on what you name your character or what you give as your name too. And it says, thank you. Your wonderful creation will now be discarded. In this life, we can't choose who we are. Wake up, wake up, Chris. And boom, game starts. You're a kid called Chris. You get out of bed. Your mum is calling you. Your mum is Toriel. What the hell? And then the game carries on from there. Absolute madness. What is this thing? I was actually still expecting it to only be a short demo. But it's pretty much as long as Undertale. Like, this is another game where I was just up until like three or four in the morning. Mostly because I waited so long to actually start playing it because I wanted to see if it was going to just delete my hard drive. Apparently, there actually is a non-trivial risk where it will delete your hard drive because it turns out the uninstaller is bugged and it just hard deletes whatever folder you've installed it in. So if you install it in the default location, no problem. It'll just delete program file slash Deltarune or something. But if you went and overrode it and said, oh, install it in C colon slash, then it really would just delete your entire hard drive. So it kind of is bad, but there you go. It's a big surprise. What is it? How does it relate to Undertale? So many theories. What needs to be said? This is many years in the making. Question mark. Undertale is actually the very first game we played for the podcast. And I would actually never have played Undertale if not for you telling me that it got 97 on Metacritic and I should probably try playing it because you play every game that gets over 95. Yes. And so it's kind of your fault that I'm now this obsessive Undertale fanboy, but actually, can I even be called a fanboy anymore? Like, man-child, is that more appropriate? How sad. So, yeah, what is this game? I mean, Toby Fox did tweet, don't worry about this messing up the story of Undertale. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but if everyone was happy at the end of Undertale, or however you left the world of Undertale... That's still how things are. Deltarune doesn't change Undertale. And then, you know, how should you interpret that? Does that mean that it's a completely alternate universe? It has no relation to Undertale? Or the other way that could be true, it could be a prequel. 
there's all sorts of crazy stuff where it's it feels like there's loads of easter eggs that were in undertale that didn't really make sense and deltarune is going to actually explain a lot of that stuff like oh dear this is getting just it's a spoiler i don't know like you know it's hinted that there's multiple timelines or alternate timelines and like is deltarune an alternate timeline that happened before undertale i don't know so many possibilities lots of things that are very unclear i did see an interesting analogy where someone said if undertale is ocarina of time then deltarune is majora's mask anyway it's not finished yet and even though it was actually quite long what we technically got was only part one so Toby Fox did say he's looking to build a team to make this game. So who knows when we'll actually get the finished thing. I'm trying to think what the other really interesting things to say about it are. It's been a long time in the making, right? The website itself. So Deltarune.com has existed basically since Undertale maybe even before. And the Wayback Machine actually shows that although Deltarune.com appeared to be a completely black, blank page, it actually has an image on it that is a slightly different shade of black. And if you go and extract the characters from that image, then it's actually... A message in the Wingdings font that says, in all caps, this next experiment seems very interesting, which is a reference to entry number 17 from the True Lab in Undertale, which you can only get by hacking your save game. Like, this is all like crazy down the rabbit hole Undertale stuff. I mean, this is what makes Undertale so good. The fact that there's all this hidden stuff under layers and layers and layers. And it's hinted at in Undertale that there's a character called Gaster that somehow erased themselves from the timeline or pushed themselves out of time. And in the same way that Sans is a skeleton that speaks in Comic Sans font and Papyrus is a skeleton that speaks in the Papyrus font, Gaster, it's believed, is a skeleton that speaks in the Wingdings font, because he's WD Gaster, like Wingdings Aster. So these messages come from Gaster. And so there was this message on Deltarune.com from Gaster from basically the same time as Undertale. And then more recently, the message changed. So a year later, the image was updated. Still a completely black image, but the Wingdings text inside it became three heroes appeared to banish the angel's heaven. And then just this year, we got the actual game. It's just so cool. I'm just so excited. Just so much effort. It's just so nice. It's just such a nice game. It's so weird. It's like the only thing that makes me like feel anything anymore. But it's so dark. You say nice. It's a, yeah, it's like it runs this whole gamut. It's just, and all the puns, and it's just really, I don't know what it is. It somehow, it looks 
like terrible jank. It's like hand-drawn sprites, and you know they're nice and all, but it's not like the best pixel art you've ever seen. And yet somehow there's just something about it. There's just like so much like feeling to it. Charm. Yeah, charm is the right word. Is I don't know if this is right, but it's so subversive though. That is the thing. Like Undertale was a very subversive game. It really, it really subverted all of your expectations. And then how do you subvert people's expectations in a game where people are expecting a game that subverts their expectations? And yet somehow Deltarune does it, which is what makes it so good. And I'm sure there will be more to come because this really was just the demo. It was a very long demo. It is chapter one. Yeah, a teaser for the full thing. And it does leave it. It leaves it in this completely mind-blowing way. Like, you know, you haven't played it because you don't care about Undertale the same way I care about Undertale. But I made you watch the ending just to give you some flavour of, like, why I was so shocked and excited by the whole thing. And, yeah, it really subverts your expectations again. Plus, the music is beautiful. The music is really... I think Toby Fox, his main thing was composing music right like he wrote music i think for another webcomic it's like homestuck i don't know so i think that's his background really like he you know he's not a programmer he's not an artist i mean he obviously has those abilities too but his main thing is actually music and again the music in deltarune is fantastic Plus, I didn't really notice it when I was playing the game. But after I finished, I saw a very interesting blog post on Undertale Fanfiction blog where they point out that the music in Deltarune has this recurring theme in it. Nearly every song has this recurring motif. And, you know, the music is saying something to you, too. And, you know, when you know what to look for, then when you hear the music again, you realize, oh, wow, like that's in there, too. Like all the way through the game, it was hinting at this thing. So clever. Who knows how long we have to wait? Yeah, who knows? Could be years. I mean, he might never finish it. I mean, I hope he does. But, you know, it might be like freaking Game of Thrones. We might be waiting like a decade for it. Just imagine. Can you imagine if in like 10 years time and we're all on our like VR, super high tech, terahertz, I don't know, glasses or something, because all of my time capsule predictions were totally wrong. <laughs> and then like, you know, Deltarune finally releases and it's this pixel art janky game. But I'm just like, oh, it's so good, man. you got to play it. And I'm like, uh, I only play VR games now. And they're like, no, man, you've you got to understand. The sprites are so good. Yeah. Welcome to Rhyme City. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Tim, your dad was a legend in this precinct. If you were anything like your dad. I'm not. I remember. You wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when you were young. 
Yeah, that didn't really work out. Upcoming video game movies. Yeah, well, we've, I think we tried to make a whole section out of this, but really, the only thing I really wanted to talk about was Detective Pikachu. <laughs> but let's give a quick mention to the others too, just so we can give some semblance of impartiality. The Monster Hunter movie. Stills have come out for this. Modern day soldiers. End up in the Monster Hunter universe. In a parallel world. Yeah, so the stills show them in modern military gear with guns in, what, like Jeeps or Hummers or some big military vehicles. And they don't show any of the monsters yet, right? Yeah. But they do show, what, a stinger? Slinger? They do, yes. So it's kind of implied that they do end up with the traditional Monster Hunter gear at some point. What was your comment? (laughs) Kaiju garbage. (laughs) It might end up like that. I don't understand. This still is so generic and worthless. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, did you get this license because you really loved Monster Hunter and you want to make a Monster Hunter movie? Or did they get this license because it was like, what do kids like these days? Oh, Monster Hunter. Okay, let's make an action movie and stick some Monster Hunter on it. I just can't tell. Uh, also, quite possibly, I'm not at all the target audience for this. So, you know, I'm probably judging this completely too harshly. Like, I never played Monster Hunter until Monster Hunter World. And I played it, what, a little bit. But, I, you know, I never really, really got into Monster Hunter World. So, you know, I kind of bounced off it. You had it too, didn't you? I did. And we both kind of just like played a bit and when uh, It's just too long. Too long, man. It's long. Hunting monsters isn't as fun as I thought it would be. I just think there's all the tracking and there's all the... You just... The prep... I don't know. I just didn't really feel like it was a good use of my time. Crazy. Yeah, the tracking. It's just... uh, Can't be asked. Cannot be asked. Yeah, I mean, goodness knows when this thing is going to come out. I don't have high hopes. <laughs> Who cares? Do you have high hopes for Sonic the Hedgehog movie? Oh, jeez. You know, it's a miracle that we haven't already had a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. <laughs> a miracle. I'm saying like, like, oh, thank goodness we haven't. We've been so lucky until now. We haven't had one. And now our locks run out and they're finally making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh, my God. Live action Dr. Robotnik would give me nightmares. But live-action Dr. Robotnik is Jim Carrey. Is that right? Yeah. But whatever. They may CG him. I don't know. I'm going to put him in a fat suit. Well, maybe he's just really let himself go. Maybe he doesn't need any prosthetics to be Dr. Robotnik anymore. But think about it. Sonic. No, they'll CG Sonic, thankfully. If they manage to put Sonic. Yeah, Sonic must surely be CG. But the proportions are all wrong. The Sonic games already have this problem, right? Like, whatever Sonic game it is that has Shadow in it, it's actually the same problem that Mario has with New Donk City too, right? Like, Mario, you see him, you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's what humans look like in the Mario universe. But then there was New Donk City, and it's like, you've got normal-looking humans, and you've got Mario. Is Mario not a human? Uh? And then Sonic actually has the same problem, because you've got Sonic, okay, he's an anthropomorphic hedgehog, fine, I can accept that. You've got Robotnik, he's this strange caricature of an Eggman. Fine. If I can accept anthropomorphic hedgehogs, I can accept that too. But then you've got normal looking humans as well. They introduced like Maria or something, didn't they? I'm just revealing now that I know way too much about Sonic lore. So 
isn't it something weird like shadow Jeez. and okay okay whatever but you have normal proportioned humans in this universe too and now it's just like okay now you've just crossed a bridge too far it's gonna be, end up like the Mario Brothers movie then isn't it oh will it really be that bad that Mario Brothers movie was dreadful I mean I say that how old was I when that movie came out not very old I watched it and I remember thinking it's a Mario Brothers movie so I should enjoy this but I'm just confused <laughs> like what just happened so like Yoshi was a, a real dinosaur Yoshi was an actual dinosaur the Goombas were kind of scaly or were they actually Coopers I don't I don't even know anymore yeah I really don't know what was Bowser Bowser was just Dennis Hopper <laughs> seriously it was just Dennis Hopper. Yeah, he was just a regular dude. And they just gave him reptilian eyes by contact lenses or something, I think. I don't know. I think at, at some point they have devolution guns. And so they, uh, I don't know. It was a silly film. Sounds quite half-assed. You haven't seen it, have you? No. You should really no. watch it someday. Actually, no, you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> what, what, what are you even saying here? Well, no, maybe... For the book club, and then after Mario 3, we can watch the Mario movie. <laughs> Maybe that can be your Christmas homework. Maybe. I just, I just, I want to know for what benefit. <laughs> There's no benefit. <laughs> but the benefit is my personal amusement. <laughs> Fine, I, I feel that's enough. Okay, on to what actually started this whole mess. Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I'm really confused. Was this always a movie or was it a game? I remember seeing some video that I thought was a trailer for a game showing a Pikachu in a detective hat but speaking in like this deep male voice. But it was all in Japanese. So I thought this was just a game. Could have been a show. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it's probably both of these things. It probably is this as well. But... A movie trailer has come out for Detective Pikachu and Ryan Reynolds is the voice of Pikachu. Yes, he is. And all of the Pokemon are disturbingly realistic. Not disturbing. Really? Disturbing? Two words. Mr. Mime. He's not as disturbing as you think. He's got like an actual skin texture. He just looks like this deformed human. It's not that bad. It's not the stuff of nightmares. Imagine you hear a noise in the night. It wakes you up and you turn on the lamp and looming over you is this thing with spindly arms and a big smiling face with skin. And it just smiles at you and it's just making these gestures. And, it, and, and you're like, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you in my room? And it's just smiling at you and waving its arms about. I'm not explaining this well. It's unnerving. Maybe he looks unnerving to you, but he's not threatening or chilling. It's just strange. It's just strange. I liked it. I think a lot of people didn't like this trailer. I think a lot of people were like, this is not Pokemon. I actually really liked it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious too. Although Deadpool being the voice of Pikachu was a bit weird. (laughs) It was just so... I like the bit where, you know, there's the rummaging around in the office... And 
the guy's holding a stapler as if that's going to protect him. And Detective Pikachu, you know, is saying to him, I know you can't understand me, but put down the stapler or I'm going to electrocute you. And he starts pointing to his, like, you know, butt. <laughs> it's like, why do you point to your butt when you electrocute someone? <laughs> I don't know. I guess he's got the lightning bolt shaped tail. But yeah, for some reason, this guy is the only person who can understand Detective Pikachu and everyone else just hears Pika Pika. I'm going to watch it. I think I'm going to watch it. It seems too entertaining not to watch it. A few people I've mentioned this trailer to have watched it and said it would be even better if this was like Ted. Because it kind of looks like Ted. It's, you know, it's got regular human actors and then these kind of more like cartoon animals that have been like rendered realistically. Like, you know, Pikachu doesn't look like the idealized cartoony Pikachu. He's actually got like real fur and like the Mr. Mime, as I said, has actual like human skin on it. It's not like leather face. He's not wearing someone's skin. It's his skin. (laughs) I should hope he's not wearing someone else's skin. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's okay. He can have skin. It's not a bad thing. Anyway, they were saying, imagine if it was like a grown-up Pokemon movie, you know, like in the same way like Ted is like, you know, it's got an anthropomorphic teddy bear, but it's not a kid's movie. So imagine if they made like a grown-up Pokemon movie. Did you watch Ted 2? No, I didn't. It got old very quickly. Did it? Ted was really good, but Ted 2 didn't capture the magic. There's only so much you can do. I think if you try to be clean with your humor, it takes more skill. Okay, but you you know, you've got the voice of Deadpool. Imagine, imagine if Detective Pikachu was just like freaking Deadpool and he's like, you know what the solution to this problem is? Electrocute them. <laughs> Pikachu, Thundershock. <laughs> it could be subversive, it could be okay. Well, we'll have to wait till next year. I'll leave the internet to, to make it. Yeah, the internet can recut it. <laughs> have you seen the trailer for Shining? No. Which is quotes. The Shining, but if it was like a feel-good, you know, family movie instead. And, it, you know, it's playing like the upbeat music and it's going, an author with writer's block, you know, reconnects with the family and, you know, finds out how to shine. Or they could just dub Deadpool, real Deadpool. Over into Pikachu. The film. <laughs> yeah, every now and then. You're right, it's perfect. Just start that project now, get a head start. And then Nintendo will come down on us and take us for like 12 million US. <laughs> yeah, they like doing that, don't they? Topical. This isn't rapid fire, Ting. Sorry, I like to throw it in there when I can't have <laughs> rapid fire. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter at Lost Levels Club on YouTube and Twitch as Lost Levels Club So Michael what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for learning to kick diplomats down pits and stand in a phalanx now that I've you know learned to be a Spartan can throw a javelin can stand about with a shield wear sandals go around half naked well I did that anyway But now I've got a medal that proves I'm allowed to. So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.